Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, welcome aboard. If you missed the last podcast, go check out my conversation with Texas Longhorns insider Bob Ballou. He shares some interesting insight on Texans fifth round pick Charles Amenahu. He also shares the latest on UT football and basketball. Always fun to catch up with Bob. By the way, if you aren't already, subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. All right, joining me on the line for this one to talk Astros baseball is Tyler Stafford, who contributes to both the athletic and baseball prospectus. And if you're lucky, like I was, you might run into him like at a local sports bar or something. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of the big things on my mind this week is uh, Corbin Martin. And as we record this, he's had two starts for the Astros. What do you make of him from what you've seen so far? Because I I think the big concern if you're the Astros is what a rough start Whitley and Bukowskis are off to. So there might not be another intriguing option if Martin, you know, kind of falls flat on his face. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I've I've seen Martin pitch for a while now when I was uh the sports editor at Texas A&M, Martin, was a freshman there. So I remember watching him come in, and man, he—he's the real deal. I've seen him. I've seen him a lot. I mean, anytime you got a guy that can pump 95 plus with, you know, two or three plus off-speed pitches, that's that's a guy you're going to be excited about. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better first start from him. You know, maybe uh, he's a little off in Fenway. It's first time pitching away. It's a pretty historic park to pitch in, but I mean, heck, everybody goes through rough starts. What's Chris Sale at right now? One and one and five, one and six with a five and a half ERA. So I think you, you look at the numbers that he's put up and he's just absolutely shredded minor league competition. I mean, his, his K per nine is outrageous. He doesn't walk a lot of batters, and that's just that's what you want in in a pitcher. And and you're right that their two other top pitching prospects haven't started well, but it's the same thing with them. You know, you you assume that they're gonna get back to where they've been for a while. But I think Martin sticks for the rest of the year. I think he's I think he's got the stuff to to do that for sure. A couple things stuck out with me, Tyler, with with Martin in the first couple of starts. The first start. Looked great. The second start against the Red Sox, you know, you go, well, it's the Red Sox and that's one of the best teams he's going to face. So you have that, but he only made two guys swing and miss. There was only two swing and misses uh, in that whole uh, second start. They were lacing the ball. It should have been worse than it was because there was uh, a double to left that uh, the Astros uh, threw out the runner at second base. Uh, There were some balls that were just rockets at short and third. And I guess if there was anything that I saw in the first couple of starts that might concern me a little bit is even though the first start was good, I, I, I believe I read there were only 10 times that there was a swing and miss. Is is there a pitch, do you think, that he's got that is a major league quality you know, pitch that people are going to swing and miss? Because I, I think that what you said is real accurate about uh, his control, even though you know that wasn't good against Boston you know, it's been good through the minors. So, so that's a great thing. But uh, does he have that major league pitch that, you know, he can get out of jams with? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that four seamer is what sets him up. And when he's not able to uh, pinpoint that and play his off speed off of that, he's going to get in a lot of trouble. Uh, Cause the, you know, the truth is he's got 
a slider. He's got a two seamer, but he's really a three pitch pitcher. He's got the four seamer that sits 94 to 96. Then he's got that kind of in between slider and, and curve ball that he throws. Uh, and then he's got a, he's got a, a well-developed changeup for being um, so young and being so early in his career. You know, I don't think he's going to strike out 11 guys per nine. He's not going to come up and be Lance McCullers with just that ridiculous knuckle curve, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to be striking out eight and a half to nine and a half batters per nine innings. And I, I think as he gets that, that feel of the curve all down and he really is able to, um, to, to play off the four seamer. If you look at his, um, if you're, you know, on his baseball savant page or Brooks baseball or wherever you want to look at, uh, heat maps, that four seamer is, is just right down the middle. Like he, he is just pumping it directly down the middle. Now, a lot of that is tunneling. You can, you can pump your fastball up if you're going to come back with that curveball. Lance McCullers does it a lot. He, a lot of his fastballs are almost right down the middle. Uh, Verlander does the same thing. But if your curveball isn't there, uh, people can sit on that fastball and just wait for it. And I think that's what the Red Sox were doing. I think they were just waiting uh, to see that fastball and, and to just rip it and to spit on anything uh, that wasn't in, coming in that way. And so I think he's going to have to make the adjustment, maybe try to find a little more faith in that slider or that changeup. Um, but I, I think he's definitely going to be a serviceable number four or number five starter going down the stretch here. Is he somebody you think is going to be ready, though, for the playoffs this year? Is he a guy that you throw in as a number three starter by the end of the season uh, if you're in a playoff matchup? Or you just think he, he is where he is right now, about a, about a four or five with uh, McHugh out of the rotation? Well, I don't think any Astros rookie is in the rotation because of the innings parameters that they put on their their players. I don't think Martin would be able to make a start every five days and still have innings left in the playoffs. I think, you know, what, what they do is they end up well in the playoffs, but you know, the playoffs, you really only need three starters and you've got one and two locked down. It's, it's probably a combination of McHugh or Peacock uh, or Miley that that's that number three guy. I, I think even if, Martin still has innings left and he's performing well. I don't see any shot of him being in that rotation. Strange to say this, but you mentioned Wade Miley and the swap for Miley and Keuchel. Uh, you look at Keuchel's numbers last year. Miley's been better. Was was that an upgrade going from Keuchel to Miley? I mean, at least it feels like it's, if nothing else, you, you basically got the exact same guy. You got the beard, you got the quick delivery. And so far, the numbers have been pretty accurate too. Yeah, I mean, if you if you go back and look at the last couple months of Miley's season last year when he started throwing that cutter, uh, he was unbelievable. There, there's a reason that he was a highly sought after asset, and of course, you know, if you watch the playoffs last year, he was phenomenal, right? And so with with that new and improved thing, and of course, there's kind of this aura around the Astros that they can really tinker with any pitcher and get the best out of their usage, just like they did with Garrett Cole. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the Astros could have planned on this going any better. Not many Astros struggling. It's nice being the best team in baseball, but I do want to ask you about a couple of the weaker spots on the roster. What do you think happens with Tyler White? Is he an Astro for much longer? If not, do they let him go? 
Is he tradable? What happens? I, I'm not sure that he makes it through. Obviously, the the problem is that he's out of options. So if you get rid of him, you're basically willing to say that you're going to lose him forever. And uh, that's a tough decision to make when you've got a you know an average major leaguer on your team. That's that's not somebody you want to lose. You know, the, the other thing with uh, waiting to call up Alvarez or Tucker is just because you're mashing in AAA doesn't guarantee immediate success. I mean, think back to Bregman and how much he struggled at the beginning. They want to put Alvarez through 40, 50 at-bats as a DH where he's really, really struggling or... Um, you know, are you willing to stomach that? You know, do you really want to put Alvarez through something like that? And so I don't think White makes it through the year, but I, I don't think it's tomorrow that he gets sent down. Now, of course, now that I say that, he's absolutely going to get DFA'd tomorrow and Alvarez will be up. But I, I think it's going to be more mid-June, late June by the time uh, Alvarez comes up. Opponents are hitting 300 against Chris Davinsky. What happens if he continues to struggle? Yeah, I think. Chris Zabinski has a little bit of a longer leash just because there's not anybody pushing him in AAA. There's not a prospect that you want to come up uh, and put directly in the bullpen. And like you said, when when a team is this good, there's not uh, necessarily the pressure to get those marginal little wins in the bullpen. I think you try to ride it out. Uh, I mean, obviously, if, you know, his ERA is six or seven for the rest of the year. Eventually, you're going to have to make a change, but. I think the Astros are good enough right now and have enough depth that uh, they're going to try to let him figure it out uh, in the majors. Yeah, it feels like somebody's going to get hurt, but a lot of people might forget that Joe Smith is coming back. So maybe he, he's got to take somebody's spot on the roster. So you wonder what's going to happen when, when he comes back. But like I said, you know, at the beginning, I, Joe Smith uh, might be coming back as somebody else is going on the injured list. And, you know, usually you don't, you don't get through these seasons without some Nixon nicks and cuts along the way for sure you've also got Frommer Valdez in the bullpen who I think the Astros still view long term as a starter and so maybe if Joe Smith comes back they they move uh, Valdez back down to be able to stretch out a little more and, and maybe prepare for the 2020 spring training to try to compete for one of those starting rotation spots you need a lefty though you gotta have a lefty apparently everybody says <laughs> Um, let me ask you about just kind of get your general thoughts on anything that you've been thinking about as you, you've been watching the Astros the, this year uh, at this point uh, so far we're you know a month month and a half two months into the season what is something that you've seen that's been interesting yeah so I mean obviously you've got all these players who are just performing at an extraordinarily high level I mean I think Jake Marisnik has like a 140 OPS plus right now which is absurd I don't think that'll stick the whole year, but I mean, everybody is just uh, hitting so well. And so I was, I was looking the other day and uh, the Astros OPS uh, was like 868 or something like that, which is, which is just an absurdly high OPS as a team. And so I I looked and I I tweeted out that 42% of batters in the hall of fame had a lower OPS than what the Astros had as a team. Uh, which is just ridiculous. So what I wanted to do uh, was kind of see where that 45-game stretch ranked among all 45-game stretches uh, in history. So I've got an article that will be up uh, by the time this airs on Baseball Prospectus looking at that. And um, 
I mean, it is it is up there with with uh, all the great teams in history, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Astros may have the best offensive season in the last 30 years or so uh, based on what they've done so far. And I think the most remarkable thing is they've done everything that they've done and done all this offensive incredible stuff and and no Jose Altuve as we know him. He's hitting two was hitting 243 when he got hurt. And, you know, was is there anything that you saw when you were watching him that looked different than years past? Because I think maybe the, the idea now is, oh, well, maybe he was injured that whole time. But it didn't seem like there was any problem with him. You didn't see anything unusual. And he got injured, injured with a hamstring. So typically, I don't know how much a hamstring would be affecting his, his swing and some of the issues that he's been having maybe uh, with trying to hit home runs, as A.J. Hinch said. I guess he, was, he said he was trying to maybe uh, uppercut his swing a little bit with all the home runs that he had early in the season. Yeah, you know, I was about, you know, 800 words into an article uh, on Jose Altuve and his struggles when he got hurt. And so we, we shelved that one. But, man, when I was looking at it, I, I did not see anything to be concerned about. Obviously, uh, you know, the average isn't where he wants it, but – his launch angle is almost exactly the same. His exit velocity is the same. Um, you know, his, his pull and push ratio is pretty much the same. Like he's not doing anything drastically different. He just has a really, really low BABIP right now. And that's something that, uh, I would expect to, um, straighten itself out as soon as he comes back. Uh, you know, maybe he, uh, you know, maybe he struggles a little bit out of the gate, um, but there, there's nothing that I would be concerned about looking at uh, his stats right now. Is it just me or does it feel like, you know, Ryan Presley might be the most underrated guy on the Astros and you feel like we're, he's starting to get the attention for the streak that he, he's been on as, as you and I are speaking. But at the same time, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like we give that guy enough love. I mean, what he's done is just unreal. And, and you just, you almost take it for granted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's unhittable. I mean, he, he really is. Uh, Mike Petriello of MLB.com wrote an article today about um, there's new stat cast data on like the movement of pitches and Ryan Press's curveball is hilariously, in a different tier uh, from everybody else's curveball, the way that his ball moves. Uh, I mean, it just truly is unhittable. I don't understand how anyone could make contact with it. And, uh, you know, that's been proven over 40 plus appearances now that, I mean, he just is mowing everybody down and it's, you know, it's not something that he's lucking into. Obviously that streak will end at some point, uh, but yeah, I mean, he is, he is absolutely phenomenal. You spent a few months working in media relations with the Corpus Christi hooks, right? I did. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what was the experience like to, to do that? And for people that might be interested in seeing a game down there, what is the experience of a Corpus Christi hooks game? Why should they go? What, what, what's fun about it? What, and what else is there to do when you're, when you're in Corpus? Yeah. So, uh, my job there was, um, kind of the liaison between local media and the team. And so if somebody wanted to do a, an interview with one of the players, they'd contact me or my boss and we would set that up. And then I also did a lot of the recaps on the hooks websites. I wrote a lot of those and some feature stories. And also that was the first year that uh, Rob Manfred 
mandated the pitch clock in the minor leagues. And so during the game, my job was to just click the little button every 20 seconds uh, for, for the pitcher. So it was a fun job. It was right out of college. Uh, I, I enjoyed doing it. Um, so that was fun. But yeah, I, I cannot recommend highly enough um, a, a good weekend in Corpus Christi to go see the Hooks. Waterburger Field is a beautiful park. Um, the bridge behind it lights up at night. Uh, as the barges come in and out, it's a, it's just a really cool view. Um, you know, you get to see all the, the nice water burgers everywhere. There's a two story one right down the street. Uh, there's Schlitterbahn, there's the beach, there's, um, you know, the big battleship there, the, the Lexington, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, but man, it, it's a, it's a good weekend trip for sure. And it's not too bad of a drive. It's probably four hours or so, depending on what part of Houston you're in. You mentioned the pitch clock. What do you think about the pitch clock after you experienced it, you know, I guess as, as firsthand as anybody? Yeah, I think people noticed for two and a half days and then no one cared anymore. And it, I don't know that it sped up the game that much only because the pitch clock is a pretty, pretty sizable amount of time. I think the biggest thing going forward if baseball is going to change things is the, um, the changing pitchers mid inning, uh, which is, you know, not something that you are going to be able to change overnight. You know, they did introduce that rule for next year where you have to face at least two batters. Uh, and so that'll be interesting to see. Um, but I mean, I, I really think that the, the biggest thing that's slowing baseball down is just, it takes so long for a batter to come up and be ready and then he can call time and he can step out and the pitcher can call time. I mean, you can go a minute or two minutes in between pitches. But I don't I don't think the pitch clock is going to hurt anybody. I don't know how much it helps. I'm sure it helps a little bit. Uh, but I can't imagine anybody actually being that upset about it after they've done it for a couple of weeks. The one thing that I've always said about the pitch clock is it, it might not necessarily, the 20 seconds might not necessarily be uh, that short of a time, but it, I think it puts in the player's head that I've got to get in there and I've got to be ready. And, and they're going to be ready, I think, far before the 20 seconds just because of the, the presence of the pitch clock. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I saw was there was this story, I don't know if you caught it, Tyler, where somebody did, they kind of measured from a game in 1984 and a game in 2000, and I think it was 2014, but it was 30 years later and the big difference, why a game was 30 minutes difference between those two games and the, and the number of pitches were identical. It was, they were almost identical games. Somehow this person found out games that were almost identical as far as pitch count and everything else. And, and the big difference, they said, wasn't the commercial breaks back then or anything else. It was the, the, the time between pitches. Yeah, for sure. I think it was uh, like playoff games, right? I think I remember seeing that as well. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I, I think you're right. The 20 seconds will get people going. Um, but the, you know, the issue is the batter or pitcher at literally any moment can just step off the rubber or call time and that's it. Then you restart that 20 second pitch clock. I, I think it's a cultural thing that will change eventually, but it's obviously possible to have success working quickly. I mean, we, we've all seen Roy Oswald pitch. We've seen Wade Miley pitch. We know that, that you can do it quickly. Um, but you know, I, I think that's something that will have to change eventually in baseball. When you were in Corpus, what, what current Astros were 
playing there at the time. And do you remember any interesting stories about those guys or funny stories about them playing in Corpus? Oh man, that team was loaded. The, uh, the starting rotation that year and keep in mind, this is double a was, uh, Mark Appel, Vince Velasquez, Chris Davinsky, Lance McCullers, uh, and Michael Feliz. So all just like, uber prospects or future major leaguers or future all-stars. So the, the starting rotation was ridiculous. Then you had Tyler white was playing third and first. You had Kemp at second. Correa was at shortstop. I mean, they just, they were already a major league team. And I, I think they were like 30 games over 500 at the all-star break. Like they were just, they were unbelievable <laughs> and they were so much better than every other double a team. And so that was 2015, the year that Correa and McCullers both got called up from there. And so that was a really, really fun team uh, to watch. As far as stories, uh, I mean, I, I remember uh, Joe Musgrove was really good at ping pong. And so in the locker room, he would he would dominate people in there. And at one point we lost one of the paddles. I don't, I don't know what happened. And so Joe was uh, was just uh, taking on anybody and they would have the paddle and he was beating people with a clipboard that he found. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty great. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Josh Hader was there too. Yeah, so another like unbelievable player. Hader was in the rotation. Uh, I mean, they were just so good. And, um, but I, I also remember even though Mark Appel was struggling that he really truly was as nice of a person as everybody tells you he was. He was always so respectful of uh, any media requests. And of course, like every person who comes up is asking him like, well, why are you bad right now? Like, why aren't you doing as well as you should? And he was always so respectful that it was very thoughtful uh, to people around him. I remember him giving gifts to teammates and stuff when, when they would accomplish something uh, he took his struggles really well, and I, I always really appreciated um, how nice he was. Yeah, I had a chance to interview him. I, I think it was on the, uh, the Astro Caravan. It was the Astro Caravan, and he was, yeah, he was incredibly nice and just it, you, you hope that he finds something maybe in baseball. I don't, what, what is he doing now? Do you know? Is, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming he's out of baseball now, right? He is out of baseball. He retired uh, last year, about halfway through the season, I believe. I remember reading a, an article on Bleacher Report about that. Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, he got, what, like a $6.5 million signing bonus, so he's got a little cushion for now, to say the least. But, I, yeah, he'll find he'll find something to do. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was – um, you know, something religious that, that he was working on. He, he took his faith very, very seriously. Uh, I could see him kind of having a Tebow-esque post-career and, and, you know, helping people out however he can, whether that's coaching or mentoring or, or whatever. But, man, he's, he's got the world in front of him. He's a great guy. Yeah, last thing I, I think about with him is I, the fact that he would be influenced at all by the money. I th I think he genuinely was giving everything that he could and really wanted to be a great player. And it, it, it's, it's just a shame. And also he was an Astros fan cause he, he grew up part of the time here in Houston. Uh, before I let you go, uh, tell people how they can follow you and what's going on. I'm, of course, uh, the baseball prospectus article is coming out pretty soon. Yeah. So, I mean, 
subscribe to the athletics, subscribe to baseball prospectus. Uh, I had accounts at both of those sites before they started letting me write there. And I would do so again, if they told me tomorrow, they didn't want me to write there anymore either. Uh, those are really valuable. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler C Stafford. And I'll, I'll post some of my stuff there uh, as well. The best part of being with the athletic is just kneeling Jay Kaplan all the time. Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's, that's worth it right there. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on with me, Tyler. Really appreciate it. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.